Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Rexanello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. You know what I'm going to say. Make sure you download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app. You'll have access to all of our station's content. You have Bishop Caggiano, you have Restless, you have The Frontline with Joe and Joe, and we are an EWTN affiliate, so you'll have access to all that program. Programming, and we ask you to share the app information with your friends if you like what we're doing here. Um, and of course, we ask you to follow Joe and I on social media. You could find us primarily at The Frontline TV, The Frontline TV on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Father Bart Tolleson. And we're going to be talking about Father Stu, the movie that's making a lot of waves out there. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, uh, Mel Gibson. Um, and uh, I saw the movie. Joe, did you see the movie yet? I have not. I have it. Uh, Kevin from Carmel Communications uh, sent it to me. I have not. I have five kids under eight. I have a problem going to the bathroom, Father. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> <The movie. laughs> well, I got a chance to watch it. I, I, I was very inspired. I was telling Father before the show, I was very inspired by Father Stu's journey. It's a journey that a lot of us are on, maybe in a little bit of a different form. So there's a lot that we could learn from it. And that's why we're very happy that Father, Father Bart has come on the show. Now, some of you are familiar with Father Bart. Uh, but having said that, in case you're not Father Bart Tolleson is the associate chaplain and campus minister at Carroll College in Helena, Montana. He and Father Stu, Father Stuart Long, were both ordained together on December 14th, 2007 at St. Helena. I'm at, a, I'm, at a, I'm at a time out, you Joe, because you're reading a bio that's changed. Okay, so oh, I'm sorry. Um, the old one. So I actually sent Kevin the new one. And uh, I can, if you want the new yeah, one, please. I can send it to because I have a new assignment that started July 1st. And so it would be. People Father, I'll trying to trap me down, Carol. And I'll, they can't I'll save you the now, trouble. So. I'll save you the trouble. You can tell every you can tell everybody what you're up to right sure. now. Sure. Okay. So just go. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Shoot. All right. All right. Hey, Father, so, we fly by the seat of our pants here. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was I was the associate chaplain at Carroll College uh, for a couple of years when the movie first came out. It was kind of neat to be there because that's where Stu had gone to college. Just uh, at the start of July, I was sent by uh, Bishop Vetter over to the cathedral to serve at the cathedral, which is just down the street from Carroll College. But now people trying to track me down, they can't find me at Carroll. They, they have to go to the cathedral. But I'm still connected to Carroll. I just was uh, told I was placed on the board of trustees. So that'll be a new adventure going forward into the fall. All right. Thanks. Well, thank you for the correction, Father. Appreciate it. And welcome to the show. Welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. We're going to have a lot of fun. Good to be with you, Joe and Joe. All right. Thank you, Joe. I'm going to hand it over to you. Father, would you lead us in prayer? Certainly. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord God, on this day, we give you thanks for the communion of the saints. And we thank you for all of the saints, both those canonized and those 
may be unknown to many people. And we pray this day for their intercession and for their communion. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Mm -hmm. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Father, as Joe said, I mean, <clears throat> obviously, there's a lot of talk about the movie. We've seen all the promos. We know Kevin at Carmel Communications. Um, while I have not seen the movie, because frankly, I haven't had time, my wife and I, we have the DVD. I did a lot of reading on Father Stu in preparing for this interview. And frankly, I was almost moved to tears. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I was so impressed. And to be honest with you, too, I had a dream about him last night, my hand up, I swear. So, I mean, I really think that this person outside of the movie was extraordinary. And I actually think, and I'll just start with this, I actually think the movie was made for something bigger for him. That's just my two cents. Who am I? I'm nobody. This is what I think. Um, we could start with that. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, because you know, what, what you just said, Joe, is exactly what I told Mark Wahlberg, Mel Gibson and Rosalind Ross, that the movie is a great place to start. Thank you for making it. It will introduce people to Stu. But I always felt like there was something bigger that Stu uh, had in his plans that he and the Lord were working on. So it's interesting that you came to that realization. I'm curious about your dream. I've had a few dreams about Stu since he's passed that have been very profound for me personally, but I wonder what, what he did in your dream. No, it was just brought it to my attention. I can't even like like speak about the details, but I mean, we do a lot of interviews. I'm not going to lie. And I, and I was thinking about it in my sleep. And I really feel that this person embraced the cross in a, in a, a way that is so incredibly Christ-like. I mean, to the point of like literally imaging the suffering of Christ. Like when, when, when we'll get into it, when, when you help some of uh, the other priests to help him say mass, I mean, it's like literally Golgotha on the altar. I mean, like, and I think that's powerful, but uh, we will get into that. I, I, I guess also a good place to start is here's a guy, you know, he's a big rough guy. Um, he played football. He was a wrestler. He was an amateur boxer and God calls him to be, you know, a priest. I mean, I mean, how's that happen? Well, we don't want to leave out uh, his professional work as a bouncer because he took great pride in that profession <laughs> as well. So, you know, how does it happen? It's, it's a miracle of God. And it really happened when God started to break Stu down and Stu began to realize that as much as he thought he was in charge of his life, he was on top of the world, he could win any fight, that he had weakness. And particularly at that motorcycle accident, that drew out a, a lot of uh, vulnerabilities, uh, his mortality. And he began to be open to the fact that there was something beyond himself in a way he never was before. He just thought religion was a joke. Even when he was at Carroll College taking theology classes, he just kind of made fun of it. And something changed, particularly at that motorcycle accident. And th and that was when he uh, he had decided at some point to uh, to become an actor, or he wanted to take a shot at acting. Did that accident? Well, he had given up by, by the time he got to the motorcycle accident. He had given up on his acting career. He had done a lot of work as an extra. He had gotten cast as a bad guy in a TV movie of the week on CBS. He had a copy of it, but no one knows where he hid it. He would never let anyone see it because he was very ashamed by it. He goes, "No one's ever <laughs> watching that terrible piece of." You know what? And then uh, and then there was a casting couch that uh, he got a few um, offers, shall we say, and, and that just 
he hated that. And that actually was probably depicted well in the film. And he just said, I've, I've got to do something else. So he ended up doing security at a museum and worked his way up at Norton Simon Museum in California and eventually was like, I think, in charge of 60 employees. He really loved it. He loved the museum. He loved his work. And that's where he met his uh, girlfriend and they moved in together. And neither one at the time was really practicing faith. And then the motorcycle accident. And that, and, and obviously that 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 was a, a major I mean, aside from the fact that being in an accident and almost getting killed, I mean, that was a major event in his convert in his conversion, obviously. It, um, so it was that a little yeah. bit father. He, you know, he didn't see in the film, they have him seeing the Blessed Virgin Mary, which I thought was actually very, it was fine. Uh, it wasn't exactly the way it happened, but I think it connected people with this Catholic thing and, and God kind of pursuing him and the love of the Blessed Mother that certainly Stu talked about quite often. But he just said at the accident, he felt like maybe he was out of his body. He, he has this vague image of seeing his body on the LA freeway kind of being above it, then waking up in the ambulance off and on, and just feeling like there was a loving presence. He never identified it, a loving presence that was sparing his life for a purpose. And when his girlfriend at that accident actually spurred her, according to Stu, to go back to confession, back to the church for the first time in 13 years, and she came home after going back to the sacrament of reconciliation, it was just glowing. And Stu said, what's wrong with you? And she just said, listen, I'm I went back to the church today. And if you want to keep seeing me, you have to become Catholic. And she was like, all right. He was he was in rehabilitation. He had no big agenda. So he he agreed because he knew there was something beyond himself that it was time for him to begin to explore. Okay, Father Bart Tolson joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasolo, Joe Rosanello, Way in the Breach. We're talking about Father Stu, the uh, the man and the movie. Okay, um, and the movie is very popular. It's it's uh, uh, well, what as far as the popularity of the well, let me let me hold off on that a little bit. I want to hand it over to Joe. Joe, where do you want to go next? Well, I mean, I'll tell you just to talk about an accident. One of my children's their his uh, godfather, uh, he came from his mother was from England. They're not Catholic. <clears throat> he also got into a massive car accident when he was like in his late twenties and he became Catholic. He was in, he was in the hospital for months. I mean, you're faced with your mortality. I mean, no matter, you know, here's a guy, he's a big, strong guy. Um, like you said, you feel like you're in control, uh, with, you know, just about anything you're young. And then all of a sudden you're like, darn, I'm, I'm, I could die, you know, and I'm going to die. You know what I mean? And I mean, it makes you think, I mean, ultimately, I mean, if you don't believe in Christ, I mean, I work in New York City, it's like someone dangling you out a 55 story window by your legs, you're about to die. There's nowhere you're going to go. It doesn't matter. You're rich, you're good looking, whatever. You're dying. You know what I mean? And I mean, I think that we all face that. Why wouldn't you turn to God? It makes sense to me. Your comments on that, Father? <laughs> When Stu realized he was mortal, things began to change for, for himself. And as he entered RCIA and began to learn about the Catholic faith, not only was his head, but his heart was open to it. And he just went in full blast, probably a little bit more than his girlfriend wanted him to. At his baptism in 1994, he felt like as he was coming up out of the water, that somehow he was going to be a priest. And he couldn't explain it. He didn't necessarily desire it, 
And uh, he talked to the priest about it a few days later. And the priest was like, oh, every young man has that idea. Don't worry, it'll go away, particularly in your case. Just keep dating your wonderful girlfriend and be happy. And Stu tried to kind of fight it off. And eventually he, he got really serious about the Catholic faith, was doing a lot of volunteer work. And uh, it kind of, my understanding is they, they, he and his girlfriend parted ways. Stu kept dating, uh, trying to convince himself he wasn't called to be a priest. And he would go out on dates and talk to the girls he was taking out about. He thinks he's called to be a priest. And they would just be like, then why are you asking me out on a date? Come on, man. And Stu finally kind of got more serious about it and, and, and went, stopped dating and started doing things. But he still was kind of really not taking any active uh, movement toward the priesthood until he heard Father Benedict Rochelle speak in California. His buddies dragged him to, he was, was some kind of charismatic conference and Father Benedict with the speaker. And when he heard Father Benedict, his heart just lit on fire. And it was pretty, just a few months after that, he, uh, he was on his way to New York to join the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. Guys, I was going to ask you about that. Um, Father Bartolos and joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe and I happen to be very close to the to the uh, to the CFRs and and the Franciscan Friars of Renewal. Uh, one of one of whom was the uh, the impetus for us doing this show. Said, "Hey, you guys, got you're two couple of Catholic guys, laymen. You got you're a couple of Italian guys from New Jersey. You got big mouths and you speak the truth. You guys got to do a podcast. You guys got to get on the radio. So we're we're very familiar with the group. Father Benedict was a force of nature." Of course. Uh, talk about that. Uh, Father Stu ended up uh, discerning that, I, I guess, for a little while, kind of kind of going big, you know, going with the with the uh, Franciscans. And uh, what happened there? Well, he he basically once he decided he would join, he, he basically sold all of his stuff or left it behind. Bill said he had to go in and clean up after Stu after he moved to New York because he left all this junk in the house they were living in. Stu basically, I think, sold his car along the way to New York and and wound up in New York City uh, getting off a bus with a duffel bag. And I'm not sure that the friars exactly knew what to do with him. Somehow, after some work in New York, they sent him or told him he should go get a master's in philosophy at uh, Franciscan University in Steubenville. So he went there, and actually, he thought it was all set up. He showed up at the registrar's office and said, I'm here. And they're like, who are you? And I'm, I'm Stu Long. And they were like, well, we don't have any record of you having, did you fill out an application? No. They just told me I was going to come study here. I thought it was all taken care of. So he didn't have a place to live. He wasn't enrolled in classes. And so they made calls back and forth to the to the friars and they kind of got it organized and he found a place to live. And he loved Franciscan University. He loved uh, the philosophy he studied. He really excelled there. And then after he got that master's, the friars really realized Stu, it wasn't going to work. I mean, he was a good man, but it wasn't going to work. And it was Father Glenn Sedano that actually kind of broke the bad news to him and said, listen, we just don't think you're called to this community, but we do think you might have a call to the priesthood. So why don't you go back to where you grew up, go back to Helena, talk to the bishop there and see if he'll take you as a diocesan priest. And Stu initially, he said, you know, he was kind of angry about that, felt rejected. And once you get that feeling, he's like, he's determined to prove them wrong, that he is going to be a priest. He is going to do this. So he went with full zeal and met, uh, it was actually Bishop Merlino at the time in Helena. And uh, Bishop Merlino said, hey, you're a good guy. Let's get you set up and send you out to Mount Angel in Oregon to become a diocesan seminarian. 
That's awesome. That's really awesome. Joe Racinello. I want to explore that a little bit because, I mean, I, we know the CFRs. We've interviewed John Pridmore on the show, who also was in the order, discerned out. John was a gangster in L.A., if you ever want to hear a crazy no, England. story. England. And, uh, well, what was it? East, uh, East, East London. East London. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. I mean, um, it's so funny who God calls. I, honest to goodness, you think about this sometimes. Like, you know, people in the secular world just can't understand that. He called St. Paul. He called, like, it's people that you would never in a million years, and God uses them. And it, it makes me think, and, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, we only see the appearance of people. There's so much to a person that's underneath and God sees that. And I think of the photo, I have it in my room, actually, it's not too far from where I'm sitting right now, is the calling of St. Matthew by Caravaggio. He just points to him and, and, and Matthew's just like, me, you're calling me? Mm -hmm. And he knows Christ's feet, they're turned. He's just like, yes, you, and we're done, it's done. Um, talk about that because we don't have those eyes. We look at people, we judge them, we dismiss them. They can never be good. They can never turn around. But God doesn't look at people like that. And many times, like I said, he calls people you never would look twice at. When the Lord says, set your hand to the plow and don't look back, that was Stu. Once he got an idea in his mind that he was going to do something, he went after it wholeheartedly. And I think any times there was a defeat or rejection, he kind of took that personally. And so I think a little bit of the rejection by the CFRs and Father Glenn said years later, he goes, you know, Stu was a stubborn guy. And it was like, we couldn't convince him that he was too stubborn. He was so stubborn. So uh, once he you know, went to, to the seminary in Oregon, he was determined to become a priest and he was going to live out as a seminarian on the straight and narrow. And so he, he challenged his fellow seminarians and he also challenged his professors. Anything that in, in Stu's mind kind of went off the beating path theologically or in terms of what the church teaches, he did not like. And he he got himself into some trouble a few times by calling out professors in class. And so oftentimes his reviews would be like, he's too stubborn. He's a know-it-all. He's a, But he would live this life of virtue. He was very generous. He was a good friend to a lot of guys. And he would, you know, call them out on their on their faults, but he would also be the first one to help them walk faithfully in terms of where was God God was calling them. Father, I want to also explore something else. I mean, he sold all his stuff and went to the Bronx. Um, you know, that's the story of the man who finds the pearl in in the field. I mean. We don't we don't take God at his word. I think about that even as I'm, a, you know, I'm a married man. I have kids. But like it, we all should be like that all in. Not like I'm going to sell all my stuff. That's not my vocation. But I got kids. I got to take God for what he says, what the church says. We don't act like that. Some we need guys like this. Like this is what it should be. Why? Because Jesus said so. He said so because he's God. Like, this is the type of stuff, I'll be honest with you, I could relate to it, because I think if we say that he's God, and we do, then we have to believe everything Jesus said to be true. And I think we don't do that as well as we should. Could you talk about that? Because he did, he believed them. And he said, you know, I'm all in. He did. And Stu was all in. Now, the problem was sometimes, Stu thought uh, subtly he was maybe greater than his master. In other words, he ran ahead of God. 
uh, in terms of where the Lord was leading him. And oftentimes the Lord wanted to break Stu's pride along the way. And he did uh, quite literally one step at a time. And that was when Stu became very holy once his pride was broken, because he realized not only do I have to go in with my whole heart, but then I have to be fully dependent on God. I can't do this on my own strength or my, with own, my own skills. I'm going to have to be re reliant completely on God and his love and his grace. And once Stu began to learn that lesson, uh, he became, it was very profound because he was, he was living both. So Father Stu had acquired, uh, at, uh, how old was he when he was diagnosed with the disease that he had, Father Bart Tullison? He was, so it was in fourth theology, so he would have been in his early 40s, which was, uh, you know, pretty early for someone with that disease. Normally, you don't, you don't show symptoms until you're in your 50s, and okay, he was Father having symptoms in his mid-30s. Okay, Father, just for our audience, okay, um, at the front line with Joe on Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, um, what was the disease? What and what and what 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 was the impact physically and emotionally, if you if you know, um, on on Father Stu? What is the disease? How does it affect a person? Right, it's called uh, body inclusion myositis, and it's it's similar to ALS, a little bit like maybe MS two, but it basically affects the the muscles and the firing of the muscles. It begins to affect the extremities and begins to work its way up, you know, into the bigger, larger muscles. Eventually, it will affect the brain and the heart and the lungs. And oftentimes, what's, what takes people's life that have it is, uh, you know, their hearts just can't beat. They stop beating and, and they can't breathe. Oftentimes, there's suffocation. So the, the end, uh, you know, diagnosis isn't pleasant. Now, there are some treatments they can do to slow it down. In Stu's case, those treatments typically didn't work very well. It just kept going, and there was no kind of alleviation of symptoms. I mean, it was good days and bad days. He was stronger on some days, weaker on other days. But uh, he knew, you know, so when he got the diagnosis, there was all this talk about, well, you can't be ordained to the priesthood because you can't do any, you'll, you won't be able to do anything a priest can do. And he was, he was devastated by that. And then he had the opportunity to go on a pilgrimage to Lourdes. And this was after he finished seminary. The bishop had said, well, let's just wait and discern. The bishop uh, affirmed his trip to Lourdes uh, in the fall of uh, 2007. And he thought he was going to receive a miracle because he was so convinced that God was calling him to be a priest. And he said, I heard it at my baptism. That's my call. I'm going to be a priest. And so if I, if I can't be a priest with this disease, then Our Lady has to heal me. So I'm going to go to Lourdes, and Our Lady will heal me, and everything will be fine. He had that kind of faith. And I, I mean, he told me that before he left. I was like, I mean, dude, I think you're losing a little bit. I mean, that's great faith, but do you really think Our Lady's going to give you a complete healing? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll be looking forward to hearing the story when you get back. Thank you for that, Father. Um, let me ask you this at the front line with Joe and Joe. Um, you have said in our research for, for this conversation that we're having here that after he was diagnosed, he lived with a sense of urgency, um, that he realized that his time was short um, and that every moment mattered. Um, before the break, we have a few minutes before the break. Talk to our audience about that a little bit, the, the sense of urgency that after he found out what he had, he needed to he needed to make something happen. He didn't. He needed to make stuff happen. Am I? Am I? 
Am I uh, saying that the right way? Yeah, I, it really was after he realized the, the gift from God was going to be the fact he wasn't going to be healed from the disease, but he would be a priest despite that. And then he knew he was on limited time. So once he was ordained, it was pedaled to the metal. I mean, he would he would say yes to everything he could say yes to. If people didn't ask him to do things, he would he would be like, you didn't ask me. I can still do that. And he would see everyone he could till he simply couldn't keep his eyes open. And he made great friendships. So, I mean, he did so much in his priesthood from which is spent mainly in a wheelchair that, that that most priests could ever do in a lifetime because he knew he had limited time and he was going to make every moment count. Absolutely. That's that's so great. Father Bartolson joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosanello, Way in the Breach. We're talking about Father Stu. I would encourage anybody to go out and see the movie. It's very inspiring. Very inspiring. I'm not just saying it. And it's not what I like, Father, is that this movie is not wishy-washy. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of good, good people out there, non-Catholic Christians, okay, that are making movies. And I'm sorry. Sometimes they seem to me, I, I'm a movie guy. I have been my whole life. I was an actor in another life. I know a lot about movies. And a lot of it is just kind of like fluff. You know, it's kind of like, a, for lack of a better word, it's sappy. This movie's not sappy. This is hardcore Catholicism. What I mean by that is this is the real life struggle of a gritty guy, not with the greatest mouth, okay, as far as his use of language, okay, and a whole host of other things. And it, it's portrayed on the screen brilliantly by Mark Wahlberg, okay? You get the character of the father and everything else. This is the, the reality of life for a lot of people. You got you to gotta go through the mud and the muck, and that's where God finds you and pulls you out of it. And it's portrayed like that in the movie. Talk about that, the difference between this movie and this journey of Father Stu. And some of, yes, some of it out there is kind of kind of sappy, if you, if you ask. Yeah, me. you know, Stu is a real movie buff. He, he loved movies, and he hated sappy movies. I mean, he really did. He would just say, turn it off. It's, I can't take, you know, so anything that wasn't, didn't seem authentic or real or with, with a real conflict, Stu, you know, was really keen on the conflict of basically our, our, our battle to come to God. And, you know, I think he, I, I, in some ways, I think he had a lot to do with the movie that's out there now. And I think there's there's a plan with that movie, but it, it's real. You you watch it. I mean, that was the very simple thing that Mark Wahlberg said is like, I just want people to think this is a real guy because he was. And so, yeah, you, you see him like, well, no one no one's watering anything down in this movie. And it's, it's true. It, you know, that's kind of the way Stu was before. And then he had a conversion. He was still a tough guy and, you know, had these pearls of wisdom that were tough, tough uh, advice. And so I think, you know, that's a good thing because it seems authentic. It is authentic versus some kind of watered down thing. Now, that said, it's probably not, you know, family fun film uh, where you get, you know, get the kids and pop popcorn. There, there are other films that are good for that. This isn't one of them. And but for other people who maybe don't have faith or struggle with faith, it's nice to see a story about someone who was in the struggle and uh, it affected his entire life. Yeah, we're gonna, we're, Joe. We're gonna have to take a break. Um, let Let's go to a break on the Veritas Catholic Network, the front line with Joe and Joe, Father Bart Tolleson, uh joining us here. I think I think that's the main thing. Is like, and again, I try to I, I say in my mind, Father, and then we'll we'll talk more about it after the break because there's a few other topics we want to get into, um, like suffering. All right, the need for the sacraments. Um, 
But that's one thing I will say is Christian filmmaking in America is kind of lacking. And guess what? Conversions, a lot of the times, and there's plenty of them. If you listen to Father Stu's one of them, uh, if anybody knows about Father Karapi's conversion, these are not nice, fluffy stories, okay? They are hardcore. That's, this is sometimes, you know, when you're falling deep into sin or living a sinful lifestyle, it, it ain't going to look pretty. Okay, but what, what is beautiful about it is the fact that God doesn't discard you and leave you there. God is constantly reaching out for you. So, and that, I think, like I said, I think that's portrayed very realistically on the screen. So that's my little rant. Let's take a break at the front line with Joe and Joe. Remember, download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so you have access to all of our station's content. We're with Father Bart Tolleson. We're discussing Father Stu. Stick around. We have another great segment. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello way in the breach with Father Bart Tullison. We're discussing Father Stu, the man and the movie, all right, which I would definitely recommend. I've seen it. Um, I think it's a good Catholic story. I think it's a realistic Catholic story. I ended the last segment talking about that. I think everybody should see it. But like Father said, don't bring the kids. Not yet. Wait till they're, uh, wait till they're a little bit older. Uh, the language might be a little bit rough. But, uh, but the movie itself is a great story of, of redemption. Joe Resinello, where do you want to go? You mentioned, Father, that when he was in the seminary, you know, he was diagnosed with this illness. And then some folks said, well, how could you become a priest? But the bishop, uh, George Thomas of Helena, uh, Montana, that is, basically said something I think that's very poignant, and I'd like to explore it. He basically said that there's power in suffering, move him forward. You see, I agree with that. I think suffering gets our attention sometimes. Sometimes people could raise a fist to God, but other times it humbles you, and it could move you to Christ himself. And to be honest with you, um, in both my life and in Joe's life, um, that's kind of how we came to God, you know, uh, through not doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden you say, well, my way doesn't work. God's way does. Let's try something new. Talk about the bishop's uh, decision and talk about the power of suffering. Um, Cause I think a lot of people don't have an answer to that without Jesus. Suffering has no meaning. It's one of the mysteries that the world grapples with and frankly comes up with nothing. And if you're a Catholic, it's a way to be honest with you, to go deeper into your faith. Please talk about that. <laughs> When the seminary gave a negative evaluation on Stu, he was just a handful. There's not now he's got this disease and he's a handful, so they just basically just kind of were negative about it and said, you know, Bishop Thomas, it's your decision. Well, I think Bishop knew Stu pretty well and trusted Stu, and it wasn't long. Just kind of prudentially, he delayed the ordination, but prudentially, he did that. But he he said right away, I took it to Our Lady. And it put it in her hands, and very quickly it came back, just clear as a bell, that this this man will model Christ, and he absolutely should be ordained to the priesthood. And so, when Stu got back from Lords and uh, had basically had kind of a coming to terms with the fact, the miracle was he would not be healed, but he would carry the cross of Christ, and it would be a beautiful thing. That the bishop called him in and said, "I'm going to ordain you. I'll, you and Bart will be ordained together in December." And so uh, Stu uh, contacted me right away and said, hey, we're getting ordained. I, Bishop had told me why Stu was gone on the trip that he was ordaining us, but I let him tell Stu personally. So 
It was, it was a great thing. And the thing about suffering is this. Stu, he didn't complain much. He, now, he would complain to me because I was like, you got to be able to talk what's going on with someone you can trust. But he wouldn't complain to a lot of people that came to see him. He would try to encourage people to embrace their own crosses for Christ and see the power of that embracement of the suffering in their own lives. And they were so inspired to do so because they were looking at this guy in a wheelchair who was having a hard time breathing and yet was joyful and profound and, and full of zeal for God. So I think just the fact that it wasn't about Stu or it wasn't, woe is me, look what's happened to me, or even, you know, if God can do this with me, what can he do with you? It was just about like, God put those crosses in your own life. Don't be afraid of them. God will be with you in them. The saints will be with you in them. Our ladies with you. Let's go forward. Let's pray and let's trust. One thing I would say, Father Bart, is is this about about suffering? I've heard you know, like uh, many people, I, I I don't begrudge them for it. It's a legitimate question. Why would a good God allow suffering? I've been asked that question. People know I'm Catholic. Okay, I say I don't know. I'm I'm not going to lie to you, but I do know that He suffered with us. Um, I do know that 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 there is there is meaning in suffering, and that does resonate with people. They don't know how to quite respond to that because you say, "Yeah, I, I don't know why God allows it, but God certainly entered into it." If you're asking me what the Catholic Church teaches, God enters into our pain and suffering. All right, in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, do you, how inspiring and what and what would you tell, let's say, a lot of people out there? It seems like in America, okay, I'm sure other parts of the world too, we try to avoid suffering at every turn. We think we can, okay? Social media oligarchs try to convince you that that somehow social media is gonna and and the internet and drugs or or all these things that could take away your pain and so you don't have to suffer. Catholics don't believe that. Um, talk about the need, as Father Stu did. Talk about the need to understand that no matter what you do in this life, I don't care if your bank book has seven zeros behind it, okay? Everyone is going to suffer to one degree or another, and we have to accept that fact. And I think we're on a bad path in this country because we quite frankly think that we could escape suffering, and we just can't. Your thoughts on that, Father? In terms of some of the penances he gave me, he gave me when we were in confession, uh, Stu, you know, he, he would uh, certainly uh, ante them up for me. So I, he made me do a lot of suffering just in penance. But ultimately, it, Stu wasn't telling people, go out and find a way to suffer, you know, go out and, and hurt yourself or go wear a hair shirt or do this or that. So it wasn't like go out and seek ways to suffer. It, you know, if you could avoid suffering, that was all right. But like you said, suffering will come. And when it comes, what are you going to do with it? Stu himself said on numerous occasions, the suffering and my disease is the best thing that ever happened to me, because if I didn't have it, I would have not learned humility and I would have not have been holy and I wouldn't be ready for heaven. So if I want to go to heaven, I have to embrace this cross. It's purifying me. It's making me a whole human versus me thinking like, well, God let me down because I have this suffering. And I prayed over and over that he would take this cross away and it's still there. Stu saw that as like, this is the way I'm going to get ready for heaven and do God's work is to embrace this cross as our Lord did. It's so inspiring and, and at the same time, very countercultural because, you know, like I said, especially now is, you know, uh, that's one of the one of the many reasons why I'm Catholic, not because I was born Catholic, because because I think the Catholic Church for 2000 years has had the proper view on human suffering. Like you said, Father, we don't go out and seek it. I don't know. No, nobody has to go out and you know, whip themselves, but just the acceptance of the idea that it's going to come your way. And, and Jesus gives us the tools 
uh, with which we could deal with it. Father Bartolison is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, way in the breach. When we're talking about Father Stu, both the man and the movie, Joe Racinello. Father, I read in doing some research uh, for this interview that he had sort of like a mystical encounter with Joan of Arc. I uh, have read a number of books on Joan of Arc. She's someone who has caught my attention. Um, here is a 17-year-old girl, the only woman, the youngest woman, and the only one to ever lead an army. Historically speaking, she was illiterate, I read in uh, Mark Twain's version of uh, the story, and that she stood before bishops and they tried to convict her of heresy and they couldn't, in illiterate. Interesting, a very interesting figure, both historically as well as the church. Um, what was his encounter with Joan of Arc? Well, a couple of things with Joan of Arc. First off is after he received this grace of interior peace and lords that he would be able to carry this suffering and still be a priest. He went to Notre Dame and was touring around, and there was a, a woman on the tour group with him. And Stu was, knew a lot of uh, factual information about the saint, so he was going around telling people about this saint, that saint. And then they came to the statue of St. Joan of Arc, and he didn't recognize her, and he kind of said out loud, well, who is that young boy? thinking it was some young boy and some French woman, you know, just being insulted, went up and said, that is St. Joan of Arc. And Stu was kind of embarrassed and felt kind of called out. And then he said, as quickly as he felt that embarrassment, and Stu wasn't the kind of guy you think this is just like walking mystic, but he, he said it was very clear. He said, for a moment, time and space stopped. And the reason why I knew that it had stopped because I wasn't aware of people around me. And also I realized that the pain I normally felt in my body was gone. I felt no pain. And then I knew that she was there, St. Joan of Arc. She didn't talk to me, but she communicated. And he said, I can't explain how, but she just basically encouraged me to say the, the, the opinion I carried for France is that is you'll carry for, for Christ in a wheelchair. Don't be afraid. God will be with you. And after that experience, he became very devoted to St. Joan of Arc, would encourage young people to read about her, to, to pray to her. The other thing about Joan of Arc is she never gets to where she gets to without the communion of the saints. It's really those voices from heaven and those saints from heaven that inspire her to do these things. And in the same way, I think for Stu, her voice and other voices in the communion of the saints really inspired him to stay strong, to stay tough, and to keep looking at the goal. Thank you for that, Father Bartolison. Um, let's talk about confession, <clears throat> Father Stu, as a, <clears throat> excuse me, confessor. So this is what we read uh, about him. He had, quote, been there and done that. He knew the ins and outs of the realm of sin. He had a lot of compassion and mercy and understanding and forgiveness in his heart. He wasn't a legalist. He was the mind and heart of Jesus, and he was a welcoming presence. That was his strength. When you were with Stu as a priest, you knew you were there with somebody who accepted you, and that was a huge gift to people. Um, talk about that, Father, because, you know, mercy is one of those, I think, misunderstood words, Okay. Uh, mercy is freely given, but mercy is not cheap either. You have to humble yourself. You have to ask for mercy. But Father Stu did it in a very loving, non-legalistic way. Um, and I could tell you from, and Joe and I say it on the show all the time, the need for Catholics to really start getting back to confession. 
I went the other day and I leave and I feel squeaky clean because I know I know that Jesus forgives me, you know, what I mean, of my sins. Father Stu was a very good confessor. Talk about that, Father. The best confessors, I believe, are the ones that also go to confession. And Stu, even after we were ordained, he went to confession regularly. And it was very important to him to make a good confession when he had opportunities to do so. So a, a lot in our lives, we traded confessions. Secondly is... Stu was always about letting the sacrament get to the heart of trying to heal a wound or a fault. And sometimes uh, you would say he's not legalistic. Sometimes he would take, you know, he was in no hurry in the sacrament. So, boy, if you were going to get in Stu's line, you might have to wait a while because he would take time with people if he needed to take time. He wasn't delaying it necessarily, but he would try to get to that wound or to that to that fault and to really delve into that so that you would know even the Lord could meet you there in the sacrament. And so maybe that's why he didn't seem legalistic because he wasn't trying to, you know, speed confession on through. He took the time necessary to bring healing that he believed the Lord wanted to bring in the sacrament. And so he was very honest and frank. You couldn't shock Stu. That's what I, I loved about him because no one could say anything that would shock him and like, oh my gosh, because Stu had seen everything and heard everything. And so it was pretty easy to, to talk about everything you might have done. Some people, you know, they really are ashamed of certain things they've done. And they just like, I can't even tell the priest that. And Stu was like, yes, you can. The Lord already knows. And he wants to forgive you. He wants to heal you. He wants to release you. So just say it. And then let's go from there and let the Lord meet you and that fault, that wound, whatever you're struggling with. I think that's so important. I'm going to hand it over to Joe Rossinello. I think it's so important that people realize, again, you know, people are, you know, they're, they're ashamed. Many people are ashamed of their sins. They're ashamed of things they've done. I can speak for myself. I know I could speak for Joe in that regard when we look at our lives. Have to come to the realization, and Catholics have to be bold when we're trying to evangelize people, particularly when we talk about confession. God already knows what you did. Go and give it to him. He wants to take it from you. He wants to unburden you. Jesus says that in Scripture. You know, you are you who are heavily burdened. I'll take your burden off of you. Um, and 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 that's why I need, you know, there's such a need for, for, for good confessors out there and people that tell other people, you know, this is a sacrament. There's grace there. Go and get it. Joe Racinello. I oh, I'm talk. sorry, Father. Go ahead. Did you want to comment, Father? Well, Stu, I would just say this. Stu was also very serious about making sure that you were going to leave sin behind. So it wasn't the kind of thing I was like, monthly, I'm just going to come confess the same sins over and over and over because he says you have no hope god can change god can change your life and even the the sin you think you'll never leave behind you can leave it behind so let's stay full of hope and let's keep fighting this let's keep moving toward the lord and not just be stagnant with just a cycle of confession once a month same old same old same old it was never going to be the same old with Stu. he would never let you just stay stagnant awesome awesome joe Rasinello. I'm a big proponent of confession. Um, I go twice a month because I'm a sinner. And and to your point, Father, uh, you you put grace on the fault, and God will heal it. It's not just to be forgiven. It's also you bring it to God, the divine physician. Huge proponent of that. That is absolutely 
and you know, so important to emphasize. However, uh, Stu followed the way of the little flower. My youngest daughter was was born on October first. I now have a devotion to her, and I'm trying to find her way too. To be completely honest with you, um, recently I went to confession at St. Patrick's Cathedral, and I'll be honest with you. What I confessed, I'll be very upfront. I don't feel as holy as I used to. I'm a father of five. I fail a lot. I'm impatient. I lose my temper. Um, and I don't like it. And um, it's a mess. Like in terms of like, before I had my life in control. I have no control now. And I'm trying to find holiness in my house. Me. Just simple things. And he found that. And I think that's why she's the doctor of the church. That's how we have to find holiness. Not in doing big things, but in little things. Washing the dishes, taking the garbage out. The priest in the confession said, you're doing infinitely more now than what you did as a single person. He did that. That's the road to heaven. We have to embrace it and find holiness there. Please talk about his road with St. Teresa, the little flower. You know, he didn't really talk to me much about the little flower. Uh, I talked more to him about it because I was more devoted to her as a Carmelite, uh, a secular Carmelite. But uh, the thing that I think we both take away is the power of love. So if Stu embraced his suffering, beyond that, it was the power of love. And to do things because of love and the love of God can drive you to places you never thought. And also, I think the fact that you just said yourself, I don't feel as holy as I used to, it's probably a great sign that you're getting holier because it's not about how we feel or what we think. It's like God levels us when to a certain degree, the last thing we have is love and love is, 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 is eternal. That's what St. Paul tells us. This is the one thing that lasts. And so once you encounter that love of God, it can pour forth innumerable graces into the smallest things of our lives to see the love of Jesus into the smallest act that we do that no one may see, but yet we do it for God. And just to live in that love and to be in that love and not worry about having a checklist of everything we have to do, but just to simply live in the love of God and let God live in us. Um, it's very freeing. And for Stu, I think it was very freeing. And it, it also wasn't just like this burden. It was a release. I mean, Stu had great joy. He had a great sense of humor. He was always joking. And in the same moment, he would give tough talk or he'd, he'd try to throw out something to challenge you that see, see how you can do a deal with this. And so that's why for me, it was so much fun to be with him because it wasn't all about woe is me. You know, it'd just be like, you know, tell me a joke. Uh, what's going on? Let's laugh some. Let's uh, see what God's doing with that person or this person or in your life or in my life. That's, that's so great, Father Bartolison, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. So I, there's a video that I feel um, that, that I'm reminded of in this conversation of uh, the, the last mass celebrated by Padre Pio. And the, the, the other priests and those on the altar are helping him. They're aiding him. He's old by this time. Uh, I, I think, in fact, the, the, he died the night of the, of the celebration of his, of his last Mass. And I was reminded of that because Father Stu, he, as he lost more and more of the use of his body, so in, you actually, when he got too weak to celebrate Mass, you trained a few people to help him. And I was reminded of, of, of Padre Pio, and obviously I saw the, the, the movie. Uh, Tell our audience um, about the impact of those masses that he pr presided over in this state that, that, that he was in. 
Stu called me in one day and he texted me and said, I got to talk to you. So I went in and he goes, I'm done. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I, 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 I'm just to the point where I can barely celebrate mass, barely lift things, do things. And I, I, the strength is leaving. I, I can't celebrate mass because I'm going to, something's going to, you know, I'll, I'll spill the chalice and, or, or the, the precious body of the Lord will go under the floor or something. And I said, still, you're not done. And let me tell you a story. And I refer to the Old Testament story of Aaron and her lifting the arms of Moses. You know, if Moses would raise the staff, they could win the battle, but Moses couldn't keep his arms up. But Aaron and her had to hold his arms up so he could keep uh, the Israelites could win the battle. And I said, Stu, this is you. Talk to me about the rubrics of the mass and tell me that I can't teach guys how to help you uh, move your arms, move your hands. Um, you can still say the words and they can they can be your arms and legs. And uh, Bishop Thomas has said, you know, you keep going as long as you can. And Stu kind of pondered that. And he said, all right, I'll give it a try. So I, we agreed on, I trained three guys initially uh, how to help him. And beyond that, more people got trained. And eventually, I, I guess there was kind of a, a routine, like you could go through and if you're, if you're going to be with Father Stu, here's what he needs. Here's what you got to do. And Stu would also coach you a little bit during mass if you needed to. And it was profound because you had this guy who's suffering and someone assisting him to to celebrate the mass uh, we just ordained had our ordinations a few weeks back and there was a guy who was at carroll college who assisted Stu several times at his masses when he would go and fill in at carroll college and the guy was ordained a priest now and he says i still remember how profound that was you know taking that taking his hand and touching the bread and having him do all that it just it spoke to my heart and opened his heart to consider a priestly vocation and now he's a he's a priest uh for the diocese so it, it has had a profound impact and you know the idea of going to a three o'clock mass on a sunday afternoon in a nursing home probably doesn't appeal to a lot of people you know there's no music and there's going to be a lot of phones and alarms going off and there'll be people wandering through but crowds got there because they realized they were seeing something profound and transformative. And a lot of people that were on the edge of their faith or the edge of the church uh, after Stu passed, you know, they came back wholeheartedly and are very active in the church because they can't forget what they witnessed. Praise God. Praise God. Joe Resinello. Um, one of the things we talked about this at the very beginning of the conversation, one of the things about saints, and obviously, you know, there's a long way to go if if the Lord actually calls them to the high altar, but is the fruit they bear, their life bears fruit. Now, you just mentioned that that person became a priest because of that witness. His parents came into the church. I also read to your point, people would flock to go to confessions. You see, there's fruit in his life. And if anyone has ever met someone who's holy, I have in my life, a number of people. I knew Father Benedict. Um, he was a very amazing person. I think he's going to become a saint one day, my $2 opinion. Um, I knew a lot of missionary charity nuns who were incredibly holy. Um, they stopped, holy people stop traffic 
You see, they stop. That's the dynam- That's the dynamism of the Catholic Church is holiness. When you meet someone that's holy because they're, they're reflecting God, like you'll never forget that person ever. And he's his life bore fruit. Talk about his parents. They converted. Talk about the other fruit that his life through the various confessions, the masses, um, because it's there. <laughs> Well, certainly with Father Benedict, you know, he's a real guy. <laughs> you know, it's like he's oh, not yeah. putting on any airs. And Stu was the same way. I mean, he was a real guy. Holy people are real people. They're not highfalutin floating on the air. You know, they're just real people and they're easy to talk to oftentimes. So I think as Stu began to have friendships in his priesthood with real people, and people that were in where they were in struggles and, and Stu would talk to them. And, you know, Stu didn't became, he changed, but he was still Stu. It wasn't like he became this mystic guru that everyone had to fly to. It was like, he's going to just punch you right between the eyes spiritually now instead of with his fist. So I think uh, there was a little tension uh, when Bill kind of got involved in Stu's life again, because he had been absent so much uh, as Stu was growing up and having the opportunity, Bill just felt like he needed to make up for lost time. But it was having an effect because not only what he was seeing Stu do, but also what he was seeing other people that were friends of Stu, who they were. And I think that opened his heart to, 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 to say to him, there's something real here. And the thing that's so beautiful about Bill Long is he's the, exactly the kind of person you want to become Catholic, a real guy. You know, he still loves baseball. He has a great sense of humor. He loves to fish. He's, a, he's still a great servant for some of uh, friends and stuff. And he's fun to be with, but he's a real guy. He's not like putting on certain airs. He goes to mass, you know, sits toward the back and uh, practices his faith uh, during Lent he goes to mass every day and it's you know so and Kathleen his mom was the same way and um, I think the thing I love about those two becoming Catholic is they're just as real as Stu was you know there's they're they're real people and, and it's not like you have to kind of have this incredible change and walk on air or something as they stayed real human beings and it was that was a beautiful thing about their conversion Absolutely. Father, Father Bartolis and joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. So what do you think about, uh, about sainthood? I mean, I know that that's like Joe said, that's a long way off. Bishop Thomas said he thinks uh, the opening of, of Stu sainthood causes a possibility, a distinct possibility. Um, anything in that regard, anything that maybe, you know, or you could point to uh, anybody uh, maybe saying that uh, they've experienced something per- perhaps through Father Stu's intercession. What, what what are your thoughts on sainthood for Father Stuart Long? Bishop Thomas and I talked about it, and, and we were both in agreement. Like, you, you don't try to propose one for sainthood in the middle of a media blitz in a, in a Hollywood movie. <laughs> so maybe with time, you know, as I prayed over the years and really felt Stu's presence, I think Stu's just saying, right now, none of that matters, but I need to get busy. I have a lot of work I need to do from this side. I need you to help me. And bring people to me, tell them about me, and ask them to ask for my help. And we have seen some outright miracles, physical healings. But we've also seen people that haven't received miracles other than a change of heart. To me, that's the most profound miracle. It's like I was in such despair over this. And now I feel like there's hope, though I haven't received a physical healing. There's hope. So there's a lot of people praying for for Stu's intercession. And I tell people, I say, Stu was always trying to disciple you toward Christ. 
He wasn't one of those kind of guys like, let's get your miracle and you can go on with your life. If you're going to receive any kind of miracle from God, you're going to have to radically change your life for God. And that means drawing closer to the Lord. And there's no way out of it. And so Stu, even from the other side, anyone that wants to kind of broach his intercession is very much being challenged with like, I have to be a disciple, a better disciple of Jesus Christ, and not just get my miracle and say, oh, he's so wonderful. And it's, it's not that simple. And, and that's really the thing that makes me so convinced that Stu is on the other side working, besides just these signs of grace and really miracles, is the fact that people are really being led in deeper into their faith and deeper into the trust of the Lord through Stu's intercession. That's what's so profound and beautiful. Absolutely. Uh, Father, I mean, there's something that tells me that we could go on for hours. Unfortunately, this is radio, and we're, we're drawing to an end. But we have about 30 seconds. Where could folks uh, see the movie, buy the movie? Where could they learn a little bit more about what you have going on? Uh, please let us know about that. Certainly. They, the movie is readily available on DVD. You can rent it on Amazon or Apple TV, other outlets. And uh, in terms of more, knowing more about Stu, we, we finally have kind of closed the deal on this. So I, during uh, some period of time, I was able to write a book of memoirs about Stu. And that uh, looks like it's going to be published by Ignatius, I, hopefully by the uh, year's end. So uh, we're getting closer to that. So hopefully there'll be more out there about Stu that you can find out about. We started an organization called Beyond 227, beyond227.org. Stu's room at Big Sky's uh, facility was 227. And so just all, all the graces through his intercession, the mission he he inspired us to do. A lot of people that knew Stu have formed this organization. And you can go on the website and read more about that too. Excellent. Father Bartolison, thank you so much for joining us. This was a fantastic conversation. We really appreciate it. All right, Joe and Joe, good to be with you guys today. Good to be with you, and thank you all out there at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Remember, download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And remember that we are spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Follow Joe and I on social media, primarily at The Frontline TV. The Frontline TV on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. Help a couple brothers out. Um, and remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.